to bring a message to you today when it's hard to see it clearly. Anybody ever been in a situation where it was hard to see it clearly? For whatever reason, it just was, was a difficult situation. Maybe you hadn't been there before. You hadn't done it that way before. Something. It's just you couldn't see it clearly. I think in, in this country right now, there are some things, and it's hard for us to, to see it clearly. And so uh, a lot of times for me, when that happens, I, I have to just kind of remove myself from the world. And so Friday, I just removed myself from the, the world and, and got out in the yard for a little bit. And uh, sometimes it's good to sweat, isn't it? I needed to get out and sweat and, and work a little and uh, let my mind clear and, and then just be available for the Holy Spirit to say whatever he wanted to say. And one of the first things that came out was from James chapter 1 verse 19 that I was reminded the scripture tells us to be uh, quick to hear but slow to speak. Quick to hear but slow to speak. And I thought, man, you know, I wonder if some of the issues that we're suffering from right now are because we got that backwards. That we've been quick to speak but slow to listen, slow to slow to hear, and, and so I, I wanted to take that posture, and I'm, I'm, even as I'm speaking today, I'm trying to take the posture of somebody who is trying to be quick to listen, quick to hear, but very slow to, to speak, because it says that there's some things about wrath that come out if you get it backwards. There's, there's some things about anger that come out when we, when we get it backwards. I have never known any fire on the face of the earth to be caused by someone who used their ears. Tell, tell me anywhere you have ever seen a fire that was created by someone's listening. But Scripture says your tongue. Your tongue is like a fire. And there are times, obviously, that we are called to speak, right? But we're not talking about those. We're talking about those times where our tongue unnecessarily created some burning that, that wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, I, I dare say I'll go ahead and just assume that that's happened to all of us. Because Scripture says that it does. Uh, and so how then do we, do we see it clearly? And so I'm drawn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I make no apologies for preaching out of 1 Corinthians 13 an awful lot. Because I believe there are many keys to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So I'm going to draw us there again today. I want us to look at the end of this chapter. It is verse 12. And here's what it says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. And so oftentimes when you read the, the commentaries and the expositions of this scripture, you find out that we're not quite sure, is he talking about that we can't see God clearly? that we see through a mirror dimly when it comes to God? Or is it that we see through a mirror dimly when it comes to seeing ourselves? Or is it that we see in a mirror dimly when it comes to seeing other people? Or is it that it, we see through a mirror dimly when it comes to reading the Scripture? And if you were to ask me, Kevin, which one is it? I would respond to you, yes. Yes. I think it's all of it. I honestly think that it is difficult for us in our humans, this flesh and body, I think it is difficult for us to see things clearly. Maybe that is one of the first things we have to acknowledge before we can see something clearly, is that how difficult it actually is to see it clearly. That we, we need to acknowledge that it's a difficult thing. The scripture says that we, we see through this mirror dimly. It's hard to see things as they truly are. I want to acknowledge that, that it's difficult. Why is it difficult? I, I start thinking of some things that make it difficult. Stephen Covey, who I refer to some of the last little bit, he just seems to be coming up. Uh, he said, we do not see things as they are. We see things as we are. Mm -hmm. So he challenges us and he says, we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. 
What does he mean by that? Well, we run everything through the filter of our own personal experiences. So whatever happens, we've got a set of experiences in our lives and we run it through that, that filter. We run it through our demographics. If you're to buy a house or apply for college or to get any kind of loan, you have to fill out all this demographic information and your demographic influences how you see the world, right? I see the world as a man differently than my wife sees the world as a woman. Uh, none of y'all have ever had that experience in y'all's relationship, I'm sure. We see it through our hurts. You ever notice that the enemy comes very early in our lives and he tries to hurt us and wound us and then we carry those hurts the rest of our life if we don't get healed of them and we carry that hurt into every situation and that hurt influences how we see the world and how we hear people. So we're not always seeing it the way that it is. We need to acknowledge that. We're actually running things through our filters. I see it as a 45-year-old white man born in America. I have to acknowledge that. Let me ask you the question, how do you see it? What filters are you running it through? Just be conscious of those. I think that's why we don't see it clearly. What else? I asked my wife, I said, uh, I said, Brantley, I said, have you ever heard the parable of the elephant? She said, no, is that in the Bible? <laughs> and then we both started laughing at the same time. She said, what are you talking about? <laughs> she said, I got scared. I was thinking, oh, Jesus, I've missed a parable. This is not a parable that you find in Scripture, but there is this parable that comes from out of India and it's the story of an elephant. Have any of you heard it before I, I get started on? You think so? So the parable is that there is this king and he uh, sends out a messenger to go and get uh, a group of people who have been blind from birth. And he calls a group of blind people from birth and he positions them around an elephant and he allows them to touch the elephant and to describe what they, they, they feel. What, what this animal is like. And so one of the blind men, he touches the, the tail and he says, well, it, it, it feels like a broom to me. But then there's this other one way over here, because you know an elephant's big. And, and he's touching his ears and he's going, it, it, it's got to be a basket. It feels like a, an elephant must be some kind of woven basket. And, and they all go around and the one who touches its head has a different feel and experience and the one who touches its leg describes it differently and before long the blind people get in an argument and get in a fight because it's a broom no it's a basket <laughs> and the point of the parable is this most of the time we only see a portion of the truth not the whole truth We, we, we just see our part and we run it through the filters of our experiences. This blind man on this end said it felt like a what? Obviously, he felt a broom before. But he never felt an elephant before. You see, there are times that you encounter things and I encounter things in life and we do not have a frame of reference for it. I remember the first time going to India and getting on top of that elephant and thinking, what? am I doing <laughs> way up here on an elephant that I don't know? There was no experience like that. There are times in our life we have to acknowledge that we've never been somewhere before, Amen. that we've never walked through something before, and we don't always need to make it look like a broom. We don't always need to make it look like a, a basket. We can acknowledge, you know what? I am seeing something today. I ain't never seen it before. I have no idea what that is. And so we see in part, sometimes we assume that because we see this one part, we've seen the, the whole. We have values. And this series is going to be about values and what are the values of heaven and what should be the values of the church. And so we're going to talk about some of those. But values do not always unite you. In fact, if you're not careful, they'll divide you. 
I'm going to say that again, just as a, a warning as we get into the series, that values don't always unite you. They, sometimes they'll, they'll divide you. Um, I, I'll, I'll give you a for instance, not on the spiritual gift side of things, but just the way people value things in life. How many of you value order? Like, it's got to be tight, right? It's got to be, everything's got to be just, just so, and one has to come before two and, and all of that. Now, how many of you are, and God does this because he messes with us. He'll put you with somebody, and they could care less about order. Like, they the creative type, right? They're the idea people. They're like, don't mess with me on the details. The details are not important. It's the idea that's important. And so you got this one person who's trying to be creative in the relationship, and you got this other person that goes, we got to put this thing in order. And if you think that's trouble in a loving marital relationship, just imagine putting that in work. Just imagine putting that in church. And you see how because you value something differently, it can actually put you in tension. Uh, because clearly that your value is not the only part, right? It is just a piece of the whole. We have to remember what we value is a, a piece of this everything. Jesus is the only one I know that holds all the value systems and holds them perfectly and in the right order at the right time. We don't, and it's why we need each other. But oftentimes it brings tension, and what it ends up doing is driving us apart. And so there are spiritual gifts in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13 is uh, the, the writings to a church that is very gifted, has lots of power, and they're exercising their gifts, but they're not doing them in love, and it has made a hot mess. And Paul is writing to try to clear some of that up and to say, you know what? You are gifted this way and you are gifted this way. And that is cool. That is perfect. But you're seeing a piece of it. So we need the teachers to remind us to stay true to the, the truth of the word. We need the evangelists to tell us there are lost people who are dying and they need salvation. We need the servants to come along and say, you know what? Sometimes they don't need words. They just need a helping hand. Can we just go help? Sometimes the mercy says, you know what? We need to forgive them again. And sometimes the prophet says, you need to pull yourself up by your britches and let's go. And at the right time, those are all beautiful. And at the wrong time, they can be very deadly advice. Amen. And so we see things based on our, our values. And then we have some preconceived ideas about things. You ever gone into something, had your mind made up? Don't look at me that way. I'm just kidding. I've done it. I'm so competitive. I, I, I had to quit playing ball because I was so doggone competitive. Jeff, you know anything about that? I had to give it up when I became a Christian. I said, I can't handle the two together. I'm not mature enough. You know, I want to be right. Yeah? It's dangerous when you bring that got to be right into every situation because we don't always see it clearly. And so um, we, we have preconceived notions. I remember taking a statistics class one time, and I think the professor started off this way. I ain't going to say it the way he said it. But he said, uh, he said there, there are, how did he say it? I forgot it. Give me a minute. He said there are, there are lies, there are, we'll just say big lies, and there are statistics. And he said that the numbers will lie based on what you think they ought to be. So have you ever gone into a situation and your mind was made up and you didn't have to have facts because you were going to turn those facts to make them suit you no matter what. Yeah? That, that it doesn't matter how many facts people bring to the table because our minds are made up. We'll take those facts and we'll turn them and twist them. We'll make them whatever it is. It is why people can see the exact same thing and draw very different conclusions. Why? Because we went in with our mind made up. And so then there's no shortage of, of facts. And so not only do we have trouble seeing it clearly, if we take it to the next level, then once we have seen something, being able to interpret what it means is even more difficult, is it not? You ever got a text? 
you, you got a text, or you know where I'm going, right? You got a text, and you know what it said. But then you go, ooh, oh, huh. What, what do you mean by that? And, and then all of a sudden, you start running this thing through a filter of what you think it means based on all the stuff we just talked about, really. And have you ever been wrong? <laughs> yeah, we read it wrong. Read it too fast. Read something into a word that, that wasn't there. And all of a sudden, now we started a fire. Because we thought we knew what it said. So if we think that seeing it is difficult, interpreting it is even harder to do. That's why I, I think it goes without saying that people are going to disagree. I'm like, I think that goes without saying because I disagree with myself. Can I just be honest? I disagree with myself. There are some things that I preach that I hope I'd never have to go back and listen because I'll probably listen to that and go, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? That was not right. There are things I believe today that I, don't, that I didn't believe yesterday. So my own thoughts of myself have changed. My own thoughts of the world have changed. So in that sense, it's like, we don't even agree with ourselves if we live long enough. In fact, I would say if you're over the age of about 20 and you haven't changed your mind about something, hmm, you might be stubborn and hard-headed. You might not be right. <laughs> it might not be that you're just right. It might be you're stubborn and you're hard-headed. Maybe you need to change. we got to go on. It says, verse 13, uh, verse 12, but we see through this mirror and it is dim. It is my New American Standard brings out this, this translation. The word dimly is this word that we get enigma. I thought that is a great word. I have no idea what enigma means. So I went and I, I looked it up. And enigma is something hard to understand, hard to explain. It's mysterious. It's obscure and dark. It's not easily distinguished. That's what an enigma is. When Paul is saying, now we see through a mirror dimly, he could have also said, now we see in a riddle. Riddles are tough, right? We see it in the enigma. We don't see it as it is. It's almost like Paul is saying, now we see things and we're kind of squinting at them. We're like, what, what, what does he mean? What is it saying? What is going on in the, the world? And, and, and so sometimes we can value truth so much of being right that we put truth above love. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about love. Sometimes we can put truth above love. I believe if you look at Scripture, you measure maturity not by how much truth someone has, but by how well they love. You might want to go and write that down. I think you ought to write that down. Spiritual maturity, as far as I can see it in terms of the Word, is not based on how much you know. It is based on how well you love. Because if it was based on how much you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees would have been the ones that Jesus would have put to the front of the class. But he didn't. Because they had the truth, but they didn't have love. Yeah. So, we don't see it clearly. And how we position ourselves is important. My friend Harold, he talks about this, and I've kept it ever since, is, where do you see yourself when it comes to truth? That's absolutely important. Where you think you stand is of great consequence. Let me tell you, there's two places you can stand. One is you can see truth and you say, there is truth, but I'm under it. I'm not in charge of all the truth in the world. In fact, I'll say this to a lot of people. I say, I believe in absolute truth. I just don't know it absolutely. I do. I believe in absolute truths. If you were to tell me there are no absolute truths, I said, that's crazy. You just tried to establish one. <laughs> there are absolute truths. I just don't know them absolutely. There's another posture, though, that is very dangerous. It's when you elevate yourself and you think that now you're the keeper of the truth. Now truth is below you. And so now it's your job to make sure that everybody else abides by the truth that you've established for them. 
two very different places. And so I always, that's why we're always supposed to come humbly before the Word of God, is to make sure that I don't have this thing mixed up. That I'm not looking down at truth, trying to give it to the rest of the world, but I'm humbly putting myself under the Word of God and saying, God, if I really know the truth, it's going to set me free. So where we position ourselves. And then for Jesus, when I look into this mirror dimly, I am promised that one day I will see it face to face. One day we're going to see it clearly. That's the promise. When we see Jesus, it's going to all be made clear. I don't think you'll have to need uh, all these explanations about what went wrong in the world and, and how things got off. We'll just look at Jesus and go, oh, yes, that's it. I've, I've often said all these questions that I have, I believe when I look at him face to face, if he was to ask me, Kevin, do you have any questions? I'll have to look him in the guy and go, no, nah, I'm good. I'm okay now because I've seen it face to face. All those explanations that I needed while I was down here on earth, when I was seeing it dimly, I don't, I don't need them now. Jesus, I see you. I'm, I'm okay. It's all right. Um, so when I see Jesus, it's when I am seeing things most clearly. But let me tell you, Jesus does not see things the way we see things. He doesn't see things the way we see things. The people saw lepers. And they wanted to get them as far away as they possibly could. Like, you stay over there and you ring a bell and I don't want to be anywhere near you. I want to keep you from us. And what does Jesus do? He walks up and he touches them. Because he didn't see somebody that needed to be separated. He saw somebody that needed to be loved and be brought in. It is the thing I hate most about this coronavirus is that I can't touch you. Because I know the value of touch. Of how much it conveys love. They saw people they wanted to estrange. Jesus saw somebody that he wanted to bring in. They saw these prostitutes and they wanted to, to Jesus to either stone them or to fuss at them or do something. And you know what he did? He turned them into evangelists. That woman in Samaria, oh my goodness, she went out just preaching to everybody. Mary Magdalene just went out and just preached to everybody. It's amazing how Jesus takes people that the world wants to throw away and he turns them into evangelists. <laughs> he just sees them differently. And then they see this Roman oppressor and the Jews look at this guy and he's like, he's a Roman soldier. They're occupying us. I could care less about his child. But Jesus saw a father who had a sick child. And if you've ever been a father and had a sick child, you know you'll give anything. How many of us as fathers have prayed, God, would you please just take that fever away? I'll take it. God, if you just give it to me. When you can't figure out how to get your child's fever to come down, you say, God, just give it to me. I'll take it. When Jesus saw this Roman soldier, he doesn't see an occupier. He sees a father. And he responds in a father's heart and heals his child. The rest of the world see these old crazy fishermen. And Jesus says, I don't see fishermen. I, I, see, I don't see fishermen of fish. I see fishermen of men. I see disciples. And he called them. But he calls these disciples and they don't see the kingdom of God. They see a kingdom here on earth. And they're like, which one of us is going to be in charge? It's me, right? Like, come on, Jesus, go ahead and establish this thing and run the Romans out and set up your rule and authority. And Jesus says, fellas, you don't see it clear. <laughs> you are working for something that I'm not working for. That's not what I see. I see a kingdom that is in heaven that I will establish here that is righteousness, truth, and joy. And they didn't see it that way. And then they didn't see that he had to die. And they tried to keep him from dying. No, Jesus, don't go there. No, Jesus, don't do that. They didn't want him to die. But Jesus wouldn't have it any other way. He wouldn't have it any other way. He said, no, I came to die. You don't see it clearly. And then this last one, and then I'll move on. Ooh, the writer of this book on love. The author who penned for the Holy Spirit through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, Paul. You remember his name was Saul. This was a church killer. This is a man who rounded up the church so that he could stone them and so that he can kill them. And when the church saw him and witnessed his first conversion, they're like, uh, "Why are you bringing him to church, dude? He's the one." 
that's been killing us. You're going to bring him up in the middle of the church? Why are you doing that? Because the Holy Spirit didn't see a church killer. It saw a church leader. <laughs> we don't see things the way Jesus sees them. And we constantly got to be submitting ourselves to, to Jesus to make sure that we're seeing it right. How do we do that? If you'll go over to Hebrews with me, I want to just read two portions of Scripture there. In Hebrews chapter, chapter 2, verse 17, we begin to see how we can see the world like Jesus. It says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. How did he do it? He had to be made like his brethren in all things. He, he became like us. He didn't establish himself over us. He stepped down out of heaven and became just like us. Well, isn't that an old Indian saying that says you have to walk a mile in our moccasins? You have to walk a mile in our shoes? What did Jesus do? He said, I'm going to come and I'm going to walk and I'm going to be just like you. Why? Because he couldn't have been a faithful high priest if he didn't. How could he have been our high priest if he could not identify with our weaknesses? If he could not have identified with our temptations? So he wouldn't have been the faithful high priest had he not come. And become like us. Keep going over. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who, see, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. You see that? He said, I'm coming. And I'm coming into your world. And I'm putting on your flesh suit. And I'm going to see the world through your eyes and be tempted in every way so I can be a, a priest for you. Now compare that to Luke chapter 18 where there is a Pharisee praying and a publican praying. Compare what you just heard about Jesus to what some of you know about this Pharisee who is praying. It's in Luke chapter 18. Check this out. And he also told this parable, Jesus is telling this parable, to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Ooh, that stings at a whole nother level now, doesn't it? Mm, I have to put myself there and go, ooh, where do I fit in this story? But he says, he says, he tells this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. What is this Pharisee? What is this prayer? Verse 11. God, I thank you that I am not like the other people. <laughs> Lord, thank you that I am not as bad as this joker. He says, I thank you that I'm not like the, the robbers and the thieves. <laughs> The, the swindlers and the unjust and the adulterers and, and the, I'm, I'm even not like this tax collector. Whew, thank you, I'm not like him. Mm. And then it says there's this tax collector over there and he prays too. And, and Jesus said he beat his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Mm. What is your posture when you pray? Whew, Lord, I'm so glad I'm not like them. Or Lord, be with me. Lord, show me mercy. Lord, I need your, I need your mercy. Yeah. I had this person, I'm going to try to not even tell you the, the, their gender. I had this person. And you know, as a pastor, people come to you and they oftentimes they want advice. And if you're a pastor, if you're not careful, then you'll think that you can give people advice when they don't ask. You ever try to give people advice when they don't ask? It doesn't go as well. As pastors, we do real, real good, I think, when people come in and we, we, we preach to the needs that are in their life. But we don't, we don't do as well. We don't get as good a response when we preach something that somebody didn't come in for. And, and so this person, they kind of, sort of wanted advice. You ever wanted that? Kind of, sort of wanted advice? Like, kind of wanted it, but didn't really want it. Sort of, kind of. Well, I was in the wrong pastoral mood. 
So I sized this thing up like right away. I mean, like I just saw it for what it was, just, just that clear. And so I had a five-point plan for them that I proceeded to tell them, okay, there's five things I feel like you need to do, and if you do them in this order, you know, one and then two and then three, four, five, then, then this thing will get better. It was good advice, y'all. It, it was good. It wasn't, there was nothing wrong with the advice I gave. I think it was completely accurate. Nothing happened. A few years passed, same conversation, same five strategies. Nothing happened. A few years later, same conversation, same five strategies, nothing happens. <laughs> Some of y'all are laughing. You think I'm talking about you, but I'm not. It's happened so much. This could be anybody. <laughs> it could be anybody. It's not you. Uh, and so, so, you know what happened? After a while, this person stopped coming, stopped asking for advice, stopped calling, stopped texting, didn't want to hear it. Then something happened, and I was able to be back in that person's life. And we're sitting there, and those same five strategies came up in my mind again. But the Lord checked me right there. And I saw something that I'd never seen in those previous conversations. I saw someone who was depressed, like deep, dark, in a pit depressed. I saw them so depressed that they were face down in a bed and they were almost suffocated by their pillow depressed. Couldn't get out of bed depressed. So depressed that when I saw it that way and I looked at my five things that I thought they should do, <laughs> I had to take my five things and scrap them completely. Because I said they're never going to be able to do my five things because they can't even get out of bed. And so I looked at this person and I said, you can't move, can you? You, you want to, but you can't. And this person said, no, I, I, can't, I can't even get out of bed. I said, I know. I said, I saw that. I said, so uh, I, I, I think I see it differently now. Do you know that this person is in the midst of working on those five things? <laughs> They're in the midst of working on this five things. You know why? Because I changed. I was part of the problem. I was part of the problem because I thought I saw it clearly. And I was trying to impose my five rules upon their life. But I didn't see the one thing that I was missing. They couldn't do one, two, three, four, and five because they couldn't breathe. They couldn't get out of bed. They couldn't move. And so how are we going to do five until we could somehow find enough strength to get out of bed? It broke my heart. And I said, you... Joker, and I ain't talking to the devil. I'm talking to myself. <laughs> I'm going, you preach on love all the time. And you tell people to love all the time. And it's your lack of love that was messing this thing up. <laughs> we could have been here faster if you'd have seen it clearly. But we see through a glass dimly right now. And, and, and so things began to move when I, when I saw it differently. And I've come away with this one thing that I want to pass on to you today. When people are in trouble, they do not need a lecture. They need a hand. I, I, I think so. When people are in trouble, they do not need your lecture. They need a hand. When people are in trouble, they do not need your lecture. They need a hand. When people are in trouble, they do not need a lecture. They need a hand. People who are watching online, when you see somebody and they're in trouble, they don't need your lecture. They need a hand. They don't need your favorite Bible verse. Honestly, Amen. they don't. It's a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. 
Oh, Kevin, that's a good phrase. Where'd you get that? I got it from chapter 13, the verse that I read from. It said, it said if, I have, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, I ain't got it there. I had to memorize it. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I have become a noisy gong and a, and a clanging cymbal. And if I have the, the gift of prophecy to have all knowledge and, and to know all things and have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. If I if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I surrender my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Mm. When people are in trouble, they don't need your memory verse. They need to know that you care enough that you will somehow see them in the depth of their position just as it is so that you might reach down and they feel like they can trust you enough to take your hands. Because who wants to take a hand of somebody that when they pull you up, all they're going to do is fuss at you and then put you, pull you back down in the pit? Amen. You ever had that? Yeah. Somebody pulled you up just long enough to fuss at you and then went bloop. <laughs> who needs that mm. so what does this mirror let me in with that what does this mirror have to do with love I'm struggling with this last portion of scripture is that it, it's, it's talking about love and then we end up with this conversation where he says that when I was a child, I used to speak like a child and I think like a child and I reason like a child. But when I became a man, what does it say? I put away childish things. It says, for now we, see that? We. That's a, y'all say we. 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 Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now, oh, listen to this. Paul got personal. <laughs> he, he, he pulled himself out of the we. And Paul, the great apostle, he says, now I know in part. Now I. He, he's talking personal now. He's, he's not talking about anybody else but himself. He says, but now I know in part. But then I'll know fully just as I have been fully known. I think that these portions are in this last chapter. Now, by the way, we all know that there are not chapters in how the, the books were originally written, right? They're letters. And we put the chapters and the verses in there so I could say to you today, we're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, okay? All of these 13 verses, 14 is the pivot point to where he starts into something else, is all part of this one thing. Why does he finish with this? I think he finishes with this because... When you are a child, you cannot empathize with other kids. You have to learn to do that, don't you? Like when you start out as a child, you're very selfish. You don't have the ability to empathize. Yeah, easy for you to say. Empathize. It's your toy, right? It's, it's my game. You get your hands off my stuff. And, and sometimes we try to tell them, now look, do you understand how that makes little Johnny feel when you do that way? And the little child goes, no, I don't. It's my toy. <laughs> and you're like, okay, we'll come back and have this conversation later when you've matured a little bit. And, and you, can, you can sympathize with others. And that's when you start to share and you learn how. And, and so I believe he is saying that love is not something that you are really born with. It's something you got to grow into. That love is something that got messed up at the fall of sin and man at the very beginning. And we don't love naturally. we got to learn to do it. And so we, we start out and we do things like kids do. We don't love each other well. And so we speak without love. And we think without love. And we reason without love. But we're not supposed to stay that way. Paul says, I need you to grow up so that you love well. And then he says... That you, you see things dimly so you can't rely on the fact that you always know what the right thing to do is. But there is one thing that you can always do when you cannot do anything else. You can love. Because love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. 
when you don't know what else to do, when you cannot see it clearly, when it does not make sense. Paul says you can still love. You can still love them. So I believe what is happening is this. One day we will look at Jesus face to face and we'll go, oh, I can't believe that. That's probably why he has to wipe away our tears. I don't know, but there's a time coming when he has to wipe away our tears. And I believe he's going to wipe away all the things that we didn't see the way he saw them, the way we did things that we shouldn't have done. It will break our heart and he will wipe those tears away. But in this in-between stage. Do you know those people that they don't think like you? Did you know that sometimes the devil did not bring them to you? God did. God put them in your face. Because he says, you see a tail and you think everything's a broom. But you are looking at an elephant. And I brought other people in that see the world differently from you because I want you to understand elephants. Right now, you only understand brooms. So he brings people into our lives and it brings tension to our lives. And that's why we have to stay humble before each other and say, you know what? How do you see it? That I can just walk up to you and say, you know what? I probably don't see this thing the way you see it. How, how do you see it? And then just listen. You know, it's like, I, I don't want to lecture you today. I, I don't want to do all those things. Can I, can I just hear how this makes you feel? Can I just hear what's on your mind? I want to listen. I believe God brings us there. And that by allowing other people to see things differently, we actually get a more complete image of God. I love all the gifts. I love that the teachers love the Word of God. I love that the prophets can just speak truth into something so clearly. I love that the, the servants can just sort of suck the poison out of things. Jeff and Leanna right there in front. I talk about this thing with y'all all the time. They were ministering to somebody one time, and I'll end with this. They were ministering, and Jeff is that prophetic type, and Leanne is that, that servant type, and yeah, there are people who don't believe in the gifts, and, and that's okay. I found that people are going to function in the gifts that God give them. They don't need a title, and these two certainly don't need one. But Jeff, he speaks into this situation just as clear as it can possibly be. I mean, he cut right to the heart of it. And I was like, I'd never had the courage to say it like that. And I'm just, I'm just like looking back and going, ooh, that's good. That's good. They needed that. That's good. And I'm just sitting there. And then Leanne, she comes along, and she kneels down beside him. Gets out of her chair and she's on the floor on her knees beside him with her arm wrapped around him. And it's like she just begins to suck the poison out of the situation. You can just feel all the pain and the hurt. It's like, it, and I got nervous the first time I saw it because I'm like, what will that do to her? But then I watched as she took it and she just laid it at the foot of the cross at Jesus' feet. And she didn't carry it, so it didn't make her toxic. <laughs> but it was like she pulled it out and she set it there. And one of the clearest times, I said, oh, God, we need all the gifts. We need all the views. We need all of your people because everybody does this thing that is needed. And when those two did it together, I was like, whew, that was good. That was good. And that is why we see things differently and we view things differently is so that we can put a clearer picture of what both Jesus looks like and what the world looks like. So, where do we go from here? Sometimes we don't see it clearly. And I want to just ask you today, if you are at that place where I was, where I said, you know what, I think I'm, I'm over-talking it. And I want to just listen. I want to just hear more and more about what other people are going through. Because when I listen, I think it makes me a better pastor, honestly. You know, when Jesus came in and listened, he became a faithful high priest. What about you? Are you in that same place? The world, man, everybody's talking, right? Everybody's got an opinion. And I'm not saying that we're not supposed to have those and we're not supposed to talk. What I am asking is this. Would you consider that you don't see it clearly? And would you for one moment take what you believe and set it down and let it stay there for just a moment 
and apply the verses that we have found. And I preached on Philippians 2 before. It says this, Philippians 2 verse 4. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good? That's my challenge for you today. Could you, for a moment, set down what you believe and just pick anybody? (laughs) I don't care who it is. Just pick anybody and see if you can see the world through their eyes. In fact, maybe that person that you're having a real problem with right now. Oh, 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 I feel good about that. What about that? What, what about that person that you don't like right now, that, that is bothering you, that has said something that you don't like? I'm going to challenge you to do something. Rather than double down on your opinion of them and how you see it and how correct you are, and if you can just get them to act right and just see it from their point of view. It doesn't mean that when you get done that you will agree with them. But you probably will be in a better position to minister to them. And I want us to just see if the Holy Spirit would lay someone on your heart and on your mind right now. And he'd say, you know what? I want to let you see that picture that Kevin saw of that person in your life. To to see it differently. To see it through their eyes. To see it through their experiences. And I wonder if compassion won't come up. Because do you know that when Jesus heals people, quite often what you will hear before he healed them is that he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. I'm wondering today if this is a day that we might have more compassion and be okay to not see it clearly. Let's stand up. Oh God, it's hard for us to see it clearly. We want to acknowledge that. We want, to, we want to acknowledge that maybe we've made it far too simple and the world is more complicated than that. And so, Lord, let us just look with someone else's eyes into a situation. Put aside our own thoughts and needs and see it different. And then, God, maybe that'll let us see it through your eyes. So, Lord, don't let us stop. Let us keep going until we can, we can see it with your eyes. Yeah. What I'm asking you to do, you can't finish today. <laughs> you won't finish it on this side of eternity. It will only be completed in heaven when you look on Jesus face to face. You're going to see through a glass dimly here, but it is through love that we will reflect God most accurately. That's what I think God is asking us to do. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I want to invite you into a relationship with Him. That He came down to this earth and He put Himself in our place and He walked among us and He was tempted in every way but without sin. And He went to a cross when people didn't understand what He was doing and He died for us. There is no greater love than that. Perhaps someone would die for a righteous man. But Jesus is the only one I know that came and died for every sinner in the world. That they might believe and receive eternal life. If you don't know Him and you want to have a relationship with Him, then I'm right here. And our information is on wherever you are listening. So that you can get in contact with us. We don't want you to go another day without knowing this Jesus. And now I'm going to be quiet. And see if we can't look with other eyes.
Paul ends chapter 13. Verse 13 says, But these three abide, faith, hope, and love. <laughs> but the greatest of these is love. And he segues into what we call chapter 14. These few little words that begin that chapter. So pursue love. <laughs> so pursue love. Yeah. You may not see it clearly. That situation that's burdening your heart. That person that has burdened your heart. You may not see it clearly. But I send you out with this. But abide these three. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So go and pursue love. God bless you. God loves you best. <laughs>